we're in for a journey. Um, and so we're going to start, hopefully um, you had a chance to listen to a couple of versions of the Easter scripture, the Easter story and scriptures that um, Amber and Dan so kindly and beautifully recorded for us. Um, so if you haven't had a chance to listen to those, they're still on the recordings on our website on, on Easy Church. Um, so that, that kind of captures the whole of the Easter story of the um, crucifixion, but also today we're not kind of, we don't have time to kind of start right back there. So we are picking up from noon on that day. So at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who had stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. So here we find our question, a quite a horrifying and confronting question, really, um, that that Jesus asked, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Where are you, God? What, where are you? And it's a question that probably raises a lot more questions. And in this series, we're trying to kind of lean into a good question, not necessarily finding good, simple answers to, um, to give to the question. So um, it's probably just as well on my, um, in my experience today that I'm not sort of needing to give you the one quick answer of, um, of, to that question that Jesus is asking. As I was reading about it, there's lots of, there's quite a lot of views about, did, you know, people sort of saying, theologians saying, did God really abandon Jesus or did he just maybe feel like he'd been abandoned? So as I say, we won't ruin the question with an answer. But I wonder if, you know, as we, we ourselves here today, um, have we ever asked God this question? Or maybe some version of it. We don't have to look far to see and experience uh, pain and suffering, to find ourselves in situations that raise questions like, where are you in this God? What are you, why are you not doing something? Why are you not fixing this? You know, why, why are you not saying something to me? Why are you silent? So, and for me personally, in the last couple of years, I think I've had times where I've felt more alone than I ever have before and more afraid and scared than I ever have before. You know, and, and it's challenging times that we live in. There's, you don't have to, you just have to listen to the news or um, look around you to see there, there is a lot of pain and there's a lot of suffering and, uh, you know, sometimes we more than ever in those times need to experience something of God's nearness and his power. And to be honest, at times I've felt disappointed that maybe I haven't experienced that in the way that I hoped. I, another thing, another part of that for me is that I've kind of almost wrestled with this thing of, am I allowed to say that to God? Like, am I allowed to actually ask him where is he, why are you not doing something? Like, you know, is that is that okay? I don't, probably there's some part of me that feels sort of unsure about whether that's all right to 
to really cry out like that to God so directly. Um, and in this cry of Jesus, he's quoting Psalm 22, uh, the, first, the first verse of Psalm 22. So he's not just kind of quoting it um, as a nice quote, but he's praying. And even in his death, Jesus here is giving us and teaching us life-giving ways to pray. Um, if, I don't think I have a clicker, but if you can, um, if you go, oh uh, yeah, so we don't have time to read the whole of Psalm 22, um, it's quite long, but I'd encourage you at some other point to, to sit and read it um, the way through, but this is how it starts. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. And it goes on again, you know, sort of almost back. But... I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. And then it, again it goes on, yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. And so we don't have time to read the whole thing, but on the next slide there's, um, I feel like I'm in the way. <laughs> um, this is the structure that Psalm 22 takes. So as we read these, this first part, you know, despite being forsaken, I trust in God. Despite dire straits, God is my God. And the parts that we haven't read, it goes on, you know, uh, these prayers of um, heed my God forsaken situation. There's an, uh, there's an appeal to God. And then, then it sort of starts to shift to more of the the praise and the victory. All you faithful praise the Saviour. Let all nations worship the King. Posterity will serve him and proclaim him. And so when you get a chance, have a read through the whole of the psalm. But when Jesus was quoting this and praying this, the ones who were hearing and those that would have been reading this in those early days knew they were so familiar with the psalms as, as their prayers that they would have recalled the whole psalm, not just that first verse. And here in the midst of the pain and, and disconnection and this, this prayer of lament, we see that, you know, Jesus, although the, the psalm says, why are you not saving me yet? Our fathers trusted and you delivered them. You know, I'm ridiculed by people, yet from my mother's womb you have been my God. And we, we don't really like to linger in pain and, and discomfort and mystery. We like to get to the good part. Um, I was looking on Spotify for some songs of Psalm 22, and it kept saying to me, are you sure you don't mean Psalm 23? <laughs> like, you, no one wants to listen to Psalm 22. You know, it's like, don't you mean Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But here we find this psalm of lament. N.T. Wright describes lament as what happens when people ask God why and don't get an answer. The point of lament isn't just that it's an outlet for our frustration or our sorrow or our loneliness and our inability to understand what is happening or why. 
The mystery we find in the biblical story is that God also laments. Maybe sometimes we like to think of God as being above all of that and kind of knowing everything and in charge of everything and completely calm and unaffected by the troubles in his world. But here, you know, this is not the picture that we get in the Bible. So when we have painful things that come roaring into our lives, God doesn't ask us to be stoic or unmoved by grief or to just take our medicine like a man. What we see in the description of Jesus' death was him voicing loudly his lament and being obedient because he trusted God. And so a lament is different from a complaint. A lament is an appeal to God based on confidence in his character. In his book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis records an imaginary conversation between a senior devil and a junior devil as they discuss how, they're gonna, how they can properly tempt a Christian. So the two devils, de- they desire to destroy the believer's faith in God. Be not deceived, the senior devil says to the junior. Our cause is never more in jeopardy than when a human looks around upon a universe in which every trace of God seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. I'm just handing around some screws that are shaped like a question mark. And I'd invite you to take one and to, to hold it firmly, to feel its sharp edges. Asking God why is always acceptable. Questions are an important ingredient in faith. They push us beyond the surface. And lament actually takes us into more intimacy with God. Jesus' words on the cross are not hopeless. For in uttering these words, he's praying the whole truth of this psalm of lament. He's remembering God's saving acts and anticipating that future generations will know and proclaim God's deliverance. And here we are. (laughs) He's affirming his unbroken trust in God while feeling the full horror of approaching death. And if we understand this cry that he has, that we're looking at today, this, this cry of Jesus as a prayer, then God immediately answers it. So today, the invitation for us is we might like to, to listen for God as we hold our questions as we offer those to him, as we, we bring the um, uncertainty or the, the disappointment that we might have or the, you know, you might connect with a time where you have had this same cry, whether or not you've been able to kind of bring it to God. But you're welcome to take this, this little um, tangible thing home with you or you might like to put it here in, um, in amongst the foliage on the cross before you go. Um, but... The invitation is to, yeah, to lean into the lament and the questions that we have in intimacy with God.
you know, Jesus said, my God, my God. It's, a, it's within the relationship that we can bring those questions confident of his character because we've looked back and seen his faithfulness. But we know this is not the end. And all four of the gospel writers tell the resurrection story in their own way. And Mark has a bit of a different style, as we've probably seen throughout some of the other um, weeks that we've been looking at these questions. But we're now moving on to the second question, which is in Mark 16. Um, And we are going to just read this little passage here. So when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? In another version it says, they worried out loud to each other. And I guess it seems like quite a practical question in some ways, like they kind of have this plan and then all set to go and then they realise like, oh, how do we get in? We're not strong enough to move the stone away and I wonder if, you know, um, is it like being sort of wondering like, oh, we don't have the keys or something. Like it's kind of a, in some ways it seems a really practical thing about how are we going to get in? We're not strong enough to be able to roll this away. But it goes on to say, but they looked up. They saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. Don't you always love it when people just say, like, you know, you're scared. Just don't be scared. Don't be sad. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So, we kind of know the story, but Jesus is alive. He's not in the tomb. And throughout the gospel, Jesus has been on the move, and after the resurrection, it's no different. He's not in the tomb for the woman to cling to and embrace or to anoint his body before burial. So for us, I guess this means that, you know, we, aren't, we are no longer coming to God. He has come for us. He is coming for us. We're, we're not needed anymore to take care of the dead Jesus. The alive Jesus is commanding a new life in us. So all we have from Mark is the news that Jesus has been raised. If any want to see Jesus for themselves, they have to leave the tomb. They have to go where he leads. And if we ask where the Christ is, then Mark's answer is that he's always on ahead of us, leading us on to new lands. And Jesus' resurrection, it it not only permanently exalts him as the firstborn of those raised from the dead, but it becomes a saving event for all those who confess him as the Son of God and follow him in obedience. And so when we look at our question today, who will roll the stone away? God has decisively answered the, the, those women's question that, you know, who, who will roll the stone away? He has answered that question not only from Jesus' grave, but also from ours. That's a, why we're here. <laughs> That's what we're celebrating today. 
and like I said, Mark's style, he likes to have these kind of cliffhangers and leaves us, um, leaves us with these sort of things that almost bring us back to you know, our part in the story. So his book ends with these women being told to go and tell the disciples that he's alive, to go to Galilee where you will find him. Trembling and bewildered, the woman went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So finally, you know, after all this time, Jesus would often tell people not to tell anyone. And finally, now it's like this first thing where it's like, go and tell. And they're too scared. They're, they're, they're afraid. And Mark's book ends there. It, like the other, we know from the other gospel writers that they eventually do go. But here, this is one of these cliffhangers. What did they do? And what would we have done if we were those women? The first ones to be let in on this tremendous news. So as we look at this, this question in Mark, I guess the question isn't so much what will the woman do, but what will we do? You know, how, how long will these women stay silent? We don't know how long they kind of lingered and hesitated. But what, what, we, you know, what, what would we do? What, how will we react now that we have been let in on this tremendous news? We, we are the next chapter in this story, in this um, incredible story. So will we obediently follow Jesus who's always on the move and invites us to follow him? The Gospel of Mark leaves us with this unfinished business of going to preach the good news, the gospel to the ends of the earth. And yes, we can feel afraid and we can focus on our limitations or ask the questions of, you know, but how, how is this going to happen? What's, we don't really get it or we're not sure. But... You know, the other gospel writers, they tell us that the woman did eventually go and, and tell the others. We wouldn't be here if they hadn't. So maybe they were readier than they realized to live with Christ living in them. And maybe we are too. He chose to dwell with us. He has rolled the stone away. He's alive and he's redeeming the world. And that same God is here with us today by his spirit. And so we're going we're gonna to lean in and listen to what he might be saying for us this morning. That, that same God who has answered that question of who will roll the stone away, that he has rolled that away from Jesus' grave and also from ours. So Liz, would you come and we're going to um, spend some time listening and hearing what God might want to say to us and um, to spend some time praying for one another.